Welcome to Robogues, episode 12. Big day on the run sheet, a lot to talk about. Pro, what's going on? Not much, Bogues. What are you up to, brother? Anything good? Uh, not good. I spent a week in Melbourne last week, so, you know, catching up with some friends, copping some shit for building a house down there from some some uh, councils or counties, as you call it in the States, so that's been fun. Huh. Okay. Mm, keeps me busy. Keeps me busy. Always, I'm always fighting with someone, you know that. But it's been a... We've got a lot to get through, so I'm not going to small talk too much. I know you're doing well. We text pretty much every day, so if you weren't, you'd say so. The first thing, NBA All-Star Weekend, did you watch it? Not a fucking second. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not a fucking second. So if you want me to break this thing down, I'll be completely lying through my fucking teeth if I was going to watch one second of that game. But go ahead. All we'll, I, saw, we'll yeah, I saw Giannis bank two threes and go three for three from the three, and, and I don't think he missed a shot, did he? Or he, or he might have shot 90-something percent. All, that's all I saw. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't watch it, didn't give a shit, but just something that I've, I've been on record, and that's nothing about – I haven't enjoyed All-Star games since I was a kid, to be honest with you. Even back when they were a bit more competitive, like when it was in the 90s and early 2000s, it was a bit yep. more competitive. I just never really enjoyed it because I knew it wasn't – it wasn't basketball – for the purest, it wasn't you know it wasn't why you watch the regular season. So I just I just I've just never been a fan of it, um, and I, I know a lot of people the same. Yeah, I loved it from like eighty five to like ninety, and then the last one I watched was what the Magic Johnson one when he had HIV. You know, he retired the uh, earlier that year, and then they voted him in the All Star game, and he played. And then I watched uh, parts of MJ's last uh, All Star game. When I worked for Kobe, I told him I'm not fucking watching one fucking second of it. So you know, I'm you know, I'm off for the night on that one. I just did. I don't like All Star games. I don't like the McDonald's All American High School All Star game. I don't like any All Star game. I just think it's like, you know, it's one big like, you know, it's just it's just one big fucking layup line launching up shots, and you know. Guys, like from what I heard this year and the last couple of years, guys don't want to be there, you know, especially this year. Like, you know, they totally didn't want to be there. And I guess they got to do what they got to do. They got to get them their ratings money and they got to get the TV money. But has it been over the celebrity in your opinion? I think that that for me is what's kind of killed it as well. It's just so over celebrity. It just feels like it's just it's just one big, you know, networking, look who I know, you know, I'm famous, I know actors and actresses and vice versa. It just doesn't seem like it's it's about the game at all. And we, we discussed that. We know it's not, but I think it's just gone too far that way. Like it's like if you if you enjoy the game, uh, most people would watch that once and not watch it again. Right, I agree. Well, the other funny thing was there was a bit of a word sandwich. I've got a, a ratings. Apparently, it was the one of the worst rating All-Star games we've had on record. Um, so, no surprise by what we're talking about. I don't know if you put the pandemic into that as well and, and everything going on, but there was an interesting quote out there just from a ratings organization that said, um, NBA All-Star game ratings hold up well despite record low. So that was the opening line. I just had a huge chuckle because Ethan Strauss has been pretty adamant on trying to break down how the NBA ratings are down. No matter how you look at it, they are severely down now. There's a number of factors. Some are coronavirus. Some are people tuning out because players move around a lot. Some are a lot of the politics and social justice stuff being overdone at times. Um, there's a, there's an argument for all of that. He gets a lot of heat for it and a lot of denial. But I, I you know, I've spoke to him about it at length before, and he's more kind of looking at how much people are scared to say that and how protected. You know how much people are protecting the NBA like that. That 
NBA All-Star game ratings hold up well despite record low. Like, who the fuck wrote that? That makes no sense. So, so they haven't held up well, but they're still, you know, they're a record low, but they're still held up well. I mean, they're comparing it to most watched non-football sporting events since last year's World Series. So, a Super Bowl beat CBS's much-hyped celebrity interview in 18 to 34. Uh, years of old category top NBA rating of the season ahead of the Dallas LA Lakers on Christmas Day but it's just interesting for me watching watching from afar you know it, it's almost I don't know what it is exactly but it almost feels like if you're if you're talking about the ratings you have some hidden agenda when the numbers don't really lie right now yeah I, I think they want to you know they want to put as much hype as possible out there, even though that's not really much of a a hype statement, to be honest. I mean, it seems like a somber sort of rating statement, but you know, it's such a money train, and and they're obviously a big part of their revenue is money and streaming and getting these TV contracts and and getting the public to continue to watch and and sort of feed that money train. So they got to put something out that's positive. You know, it's like. Yeah, I watched. I remember watching a movie, uh, Mr. Baseball, and the guy was about to get cut. He goes, "Wait a minute, I, you know, I, I led the, I led the team on, you know, Tuesday, second Tuesday of mo- month of March, hits on a, you know, on a, on a leap year, you know, and some bullshit like that, just to like, all right, I'm getting cut, but here's my last ditch effort stat. <laughs> you know, I, th- I just think they're trying to, like, you know, just keep it going and just keep the public saying, wow, our, you know, even through the pandemic, the ratings are up or, I mean, our ratings are, you know, steady or, sa- or, or solid. But, yeah, I mean, look, if, if the ratings are down, they're down. But, like, like we all know, the mo- you know, the TV money is such a big part of their b- BRI and it's a big part of them, you know, their chunk of change that they have to divvy up with the players. So, they got to keep that thing going. And, and you've touched on it before. You, you've touched on the fact that um, they're probably in the perfect time for having their ratings drop with TV because of streaming. So, you've, you've said to me a few times that their ratings are going down, but their TV, their, sorry, their, whatever their TV deal is, whether it's free to wear, whether it's ESPN, whether it's local networks, whether it's streaming, they're still going to cash in because it's we're in an environment right now that there's so many streaming companies that are just desperate for content that they've they've kind of fell into a good era to lose ratings, right? Yeah, of course. And, and that's what like the old school people are looking at it and like, you know, no one watches TV anymore. And you're like, well, you know, the ratings are down. How are they making all this money? But then you got to look at it like people watch. Mo- I would say a majority of people are going to watch this on their phone. They're going to watch it on their iPad. They're going to watch it. You know, they'll watch it in clips and you know, House of Hoops on YouTube. You know, you've got all this other streaming. Like I, I run a YouTube page. I do some like NBA breakdowns and stuff. And there's a the NBA has something where I never thought about this before, but the NBA has this revenue sharing with people who want to put highlights of NBA games or players onto your service. Now they split it with you. Like, I think you take, I think you take like 30% of the revenue back, but like, depending on how many hits you have. So they take all this streaming content, not only to the NBA league pass, but all these other revenue streams to try to make as much money on their product as as possible. And, you know, I, I think TV's phasing out, but all these other streaming services and YouTube and you know, Instagram and all these other, you know, Twitter and all these other places that you could put content on, I think that they're probably going to try to market to that. Yeah, and credit where credit's due. I think the NBA does a great job with content. I think they're one, they're one of the few leagues and Adam Silver's been on record. I don't know if David Stern was on record with this, but Adam Silver where 
they're happy to give free content. They're happy to, you know, have clips on on back, you know, TikTok, um, YouTube, um, you know, Instagram, back when it, Vine was around. So they were happy getting that. Where some leagues would actually send cease and desist and and, and stop those platforms from from you know streaming two three minutes of a game or whatever. Where the NBA is happy to do that because they know it engages people to talk about it. But they also have you know different you know ways to to support your team or the game where you can buy, you know, the quarters thing was weird. So you can buy actual quarters from a game. You can buy a one-off mm-hmm. game and you can obviously subscribe to just the team. You can subscribe for two weeks, a week. So they've got a, a million different packages. And I think that's that's a good thing. That There is probably a little bit too many, some would argue, but I think that's a good thing because it doesn't then get you stuck with the traditional package of, hey, I got to buy the cable package for the NBA. I get all the games. I don't want to watch all the games. All I want to watch is every second Dallas Maverick game at home I want to watch. So you can actually have a there's probably a package out there for that. I'll give you 20 games or something like that. So I think they do a real good job of, you know, keeping it competitive. So it's, um, yeah, it's always just interesting. And I think the pivot from, from, from free to air TV and regular TV and cable to, to streaming is just, you know, you got some streaming platforms that are paying millions of dollars for, for shitty reruns of things, you know. So we're in a different era. No doubt. All right, moving on. So Joel Embiid, MVP um, candidate. He was on our run sheet. He just got hurt, funnily enough. So maybe as soon as I wrote it, he went down. But I, I saw it. It looked worse than it was. Jardy's knee pretty bad coming down from a dunk. They have just announced two weeks minimum. So thankfully, you know, it, it isn't anything serious. Um, and, w- you know, we all know with Embiid's, you know, medical history, we, anything that, that, that kind of is near an injury for him can be long term. So real happy to hear that he won't be out long. But I mean, he, he's up there in, in MVP voting. I've got him top two. I still think LeBron's up there as well, just from what we've spoken about on previous pods about how well he markets himself and putting pressure on the media. But Joel's having a season. And I've got some numbers here that I pulled that I, that I read on Hoops Hype, which are pretty interesting. So on average, according to Synergy Tracking, a typical post-up player yields 0.949 points per possession, one of the least effective play types in the game, but Embiid is scoring at 1.072 points per post-up. The best half-court offense in the NBA, the Brooklyn Nets with Harden and Mike D'Antoni on the coaching staff, scores at about 1.070 per point clip, so he's 0.002 above that. In other words, analytics say post-ups are a fantastic idea if it's Joel Embiid doing the posting. On these plays, he's shooting over 50% from the floor and absolutely living at the free throw line where he shoots a tidy 86%. One commonality between Daryl Morey's stars, Harden and Embiid, they both work the referees. Embiid has taken Harden's place, leading all NBA players in free throws. What do you think about all that? Because we're, we're kind of, the game's anti-post-up, but you know, I think it just shows that if you have an elite post-up player like Joel that knows how to play, draws fouls. I mean, I saw him cook. Who was it a couple of, a couple of nights ago? Uh, Rudy Gobert um, before the All Star break just absolutely destroyed him, mauled him, you know, and just <laughs> looked like he, looked like he was playing against a kid at times. And and that's Rudy Gobert, like one of the best defenders in the NBA. But um, how do you see the seasons he's he's having? And are you happy to see you know the post up getting a bit of credit? First of all, I think you who you know all the analytics people that watch uh, listen to our podcast will probably have to take a a little bit of a break and take a cold shower for you actually. You know, giving props to analytics and quoting analytics, I, you know, much appreciated. I think that I'm a big fan of playing through the post if you have a, a post player that could post up. And I think that Embiid, you know, when he came in, a lot of people wanted to compare him to Hakeem Olajuwon. Now, Hakeem Olajuwon, in my, in my opinion, is one of the top players of all time. Uh, he dominated on both ends of the floor. Embiid 
is probably one of the best offensively gifted low post player that I've ever seen. You know, he could he could bully you, he could face you up, he could take you from the elbow and and you know open you up and you know step backs and fadeaways and spins and I mean the guy moves like he he moves like a, a perimeter player and he's got a soft touch, he's got good range. Um, I, I think he is a phenomenal talent. Obviously, health concerns early in his career, and, and now he, he's sort of taking control of that. Knock on wood. I know, you know, you know, he, he's had that he had that issue scare last night, but I think that you know, he gets to the free throw line eleven point four times a game. I mean, but I, I think that if you do have a dominating post player, I think you have to go to him, especially how much teams switch these days, one five switches, and he could just bury people down there. And I mean, he could bury anyone down there anyway, but especially when you have all the switching defenses and everybody plays the same, that I think you have to take advantage of it. And look, are you going to post up Mason Plumlee as much as you're going to post up Embiid? Of course not. So uh, most of the post players, you'll probably use a little differently, post them up less, uh, roll them into the rim, rim runs and things like that. And you probably won't throw it, throw it to him as much. But if you have a talent like Embiid, I think you have to take advantage of it for sure. And yeah, he's strong, man. Take it from me. Um, I played against him a few times towards the end of my career, and um, he's a strong dude. Like he doesn't look like a Dwight Howard type strong, where he's a nugget. But man, he's strong, and I think he's what's he listed at? Is he listed at seven foot? Yeah, I believe it's. I believe it's seven foot. I, I think he's taller than that, man. Because I was standing, I was standing next to him. I'm seven foot, and I can tell you, I was looking up a little bit. So he, he's a big dude. Yeah. And like you said, that the way he moves, one one good thing this season is he's shooting the three ball less, which is anti analytics. <laughs> but he's having a better year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think at times he settled a lot for the three ball. Um, I don't know if that's because. You know, at times Ben Simmons is in the lineup, so I think some of his post spacing goes out the window just because Ben can't shoot the three ball. So then all of a sudden you're essentially playing, you know, two bigs if Joel's posting. So I think he used to get frustrated and just just kind of string out to the three and just start pinging threes. But he's shooting way less threes this season. He's on the block, and, and like I said, he's a force down there. And, and the fact that he can get to the line and shoot at 86 percent as a big, I think he's a, a rare commodity in the NBA. And I'm looking forward to seeing that, you know. He carries that team deep into the playoffs, but I think he's he's top two MVP for me. I think it's out of him and LeBron at this point of the season. Yeah, and it's great because you know you want to see Philly compete. You know you want to see them compete for a championship because they, you know, with him and Simmons and and they've got a, a championship level coach with Doc, and you know they've got some decent role players as well to go along with that. They got Harris, and, you know, they got Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, and you know, they've got they've got some players, and and I think. You know, if they could stay healthy and, and everything can go well, I, I think they could they can compete for it. And he's such a like you said, he was a little bit of a liability with his shot selection in the past. He's shooting fifty two from the field, forty two from three, and eighty six from the line. I mean, the guy is really, you know, he rebounds, he could shoot, he could post up. You know, he's not a bad passer. He averages three point three assists a game. I mean, he. You know, he's, he's a, he's a unbelievable talent. And I, like I said, like most of these teams just play the same way. No one posts up. Everyone's threes. You know, everybody just spaces the floor and, and having somebody that you could actually go to in the post and can make a play and can make a play for somebody else is really good to see. And I think defensively is a little bit of a liability. It doesn't really go that hard defensively. And hey, look, it, it's, it's where days? the game's at. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's where the game's at. The old school in me is like, I, I gotta, I gotta let that go. But you know, I'm, I'm trying to, 
you know, I'm try, trying to recalibrate, but I mean, the kid is a talent and, you know, he averages a rebound every 2.8 minutes. It, it's, it's ridiculous what he does. And, you know, I wish them the best. I, I hope they challenge in the East, you know, and um, I, I think with him and Simmons and a, and a coach and, you know, the way they could space and shoot the ball a little bit, I think, you know, I look forward to watching them. Yeah, it'd be fun to watch. I'm enjoying watching Joel and going to continue to follow how he goes. Hopefully, he recovers sooner rather than later. Phoenix Suns, hot start. What what has changed there? Why? Um, they're not the most overly talented team. They're not the most – they're not the deepest roster. they got a new coach. They, they just seem to fit. It just, it just seems like it meshes so well for them. But they're a, a poster child for not being a team that's got all these fancy names. They've got, you know, Chris Paul's obviously a great leader, great point guard, great scorer in Devin Booker. But Beyond that, they've got some young talent and a lot of great role players. So, how do you, what do you what do you attribute their success to right now? Yeah, I think Devin Booker is is maturing a little bit, and it takes time to mature in this league, Bogues. In my opinion, you know, he, he was a little bit of a tough cookie to sort of to figure out. One of those guys who just likes to launch up shots and score, and and I think that he's learning a little bit more. I think you know having Monty Williams coaching the team is it's it's really important to have a coach that sort of organizes you, has a good voice, stable, solid, you know, and I think that really helps. Having Chris Paul, look like you know people either love Chris Paul, they hate Chris Paul, um, the way he plays, or or you know how vocal he is on the court, you know, complaining to referees, doing his thing, but the guy does win. You know, his whole career he could elevate a team to win. And he's one of those point guards, and it's really rare these days where he knows where and when to give it to every one of his teammates. And he knows he's not going to give it to teammates in places that they're not going to be effective. New generation players probably don't like that as much, but it does it does really help them in winning. I think what they've done with, you know, Aiton's getting better. They continue to post him up. He's another guy that, you know, could take over a game, posting up a little bit. He's averaging 14 and 11. They got a lot of mileage out of Frank Kaminsky. They got a lot of mileage out of Cameron Payne, and then they've got a good second unit. Mikhail Bridges is one of the best, probably one of the most improved players in the league coming out of Villanova. I mean, you know, Ryan McDonough, uh, the GM before he got let go, drafted him, and um, I, I think he's a he's an unbelievable role player for them. Jay Crowder, they got a good second unit. They play hard. Devin Booker's probably the only buddy, only player that's close to a superstar on their team. And I just think that they could shoot. They they play hard. They could drive you. They move the ball. They're an enjoyable team to watch. And I think that again, those teams without super you know, loaded superstars, three, you know, three guys on a team, and they just have that one, and they play around him, and they move the ball, and they they got good shot selection. You know, they could they could spread you out. They could drive you. And, and they move the ball. I think they play well. What do you see with them, folks? Yeah, like I said, I think they just mesh well together. I think they have a you know a, a good balance on the roster. Nothing stands out. I think what you said about Devin, Devin Booker makes sense. He just seems seems much calmer right now. Like it seems like he's I don't know. Like something's just clicked. I don't know whether it's a coach, whether it's having Chris Paul there and another leader. Winning games helps, obviously, but he's found that point. I think. That what we've spoken about in regards to where we think Trey Young needs to get to, in my opinion. And I think, you know, high usage early in his career, a lot of bad shots, felt like he had to score 40 to have them win. A lot of pressure, didn't handle it that well at times, looked visibly kind of down at times throughout the season where that's that's all looks like it's out the window um, right now, which which is fantastic to see. But um, yeah, it's just, they've been a surprise. I, I don't think many people picked them to be where they're at. I mean, Chris Paul should 
get a lot of credit as well um, for for bringing the professionalism and just he just knows how to run run a team and how to get whatever shot you need every offensive possession and, and he's an asshole as well which which helps um, with toughness like he <laughs> yeah does, he's not scared of of getting into guys talking shit calling guys out getting into the refs and I don't think they had that in the last couple of years so I've, I've I've enjoyed watching them yeah you need a prick like that sometimes a point guard to, you know they I think they tried to turn Devin Booker into a James Harden early in his career. It's just not a good look. I just don't think that that was his game. You know, not that he, I think he's better off the ball. I think setting him up and have somebody that could set him up, not somebody who's going to dribble around, dribble around, dribble around. Look, like James Harden's one of the more dynamic scorers that ever play the game. And Devin Booker is an unbelievable, yep, yep. is a very good talent in the league, but he's not yeah, James sure. Harden as far as a scorer like that. And that's no offense to Devin Booker. You know, there's 99.9% of the players who play isn't a James Harden type scorer, but like, I think having a point guard like Chris and getting him better shots, better looks, yeah, you could give him different looks and, and have him handle it and pick and roll and things, but having Chris there to be able to sort of just slow things down, give it to him where he's going to be more effective and taking better shots, and then obviously with Bridges and some of the other guys they've got, you know, to help him out, you know, Dario Saric is good off the bench, you know, and they're fun to watch, it's it's. You know, look, everyone talks about the Lake. Well, who do they talk about? The Lakers and Clippers, Lakers and Clippers. It's fun to see the Utah Jazz, the Phoenix Suns, you know, making some noise. It's it, it's fun to see some other teams in, in the mix. Yeah, it is. I will continue to watch. I think it's um yeah, just fun to see teams that, that kind of sucked the last couple of seasons all of a sudden bounce back. But it wouldn't be um an NBA discussion without getting involved with something politically or something off the court um, seems to be the weekly theme, not just for us, but with what goes on in the NBA news cycle. Myers Leonard, um, <laughs> idiot, in my opinion. For those that aren't aware, look, I'll use some insensitive language, so be careful, but he used the word uh, kike whilst playing a video game while he was live streaming on a video game. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to plead ignorance. I had no idea what that word meant. I, I had to- I was, talking to my wife about it and then we had to go online to, to google it and obviously understood then the ramifications of using a word like that but yeah he's been suspended for a week he's hurt anyway he got a fifty thousand dollar fine it's caused a bit of an uproar in the nba community especially considering you know uh, there's a lot of people of, of jewish descent or jewish background that are involved in in the nba um not only from you know ownership but media and whatnot so how's that all been taken down there bro yeah, I think it's a complete fucking moron to say what he said. And, you know, I don't care if you know what you're saying, you don't know what you're saying. To be able to say that, it's a hurtful, it's a hateful thing. Look, everybody's going to make mistakes. I'm not saying to throw them off the planet and never play again. But, you know, to plead ignorance and say, well, I don't know what it meant. Well, you know, first of all, you know, you can't use words that you don't mean, you know, you don't know the meaning to. In a live streaming situation, playing a fucking video. Oh, game. God, yeah. You man. know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yeah, you could plead some ignorance. At first, I was like, there's no fucking way he didn't know what that word meant. Everybody knows what that word means. But, you know, like growing up the way I grew up and where I grew up in Boston, you know, I'm an Italian. You know, I've heard every word in the book about Italians. You hear all type of slang about every nationality, creed, and you just sort of know. But, it's just not good. It's not a good look for him. Look, Miles Leonard is a very average player in the NBA. He's not special. There's nothing special that he does. Average players in the league are much needed, no question about it. But you need all the help that you can get. 
And to say a word like that, regardless if you know what the word means or not, I, I don't have any, I didn't do any research for this, but I'm, I'm going to assume close to half the teams are owned by someone or, or in the ownership group with Jewish descent. Okay. That's not going to help his value to get signed by another team. That's not going to help, you know, obviously the huge Jewish population in Miami. They've got a team option for him next year. Uh, I, I've got a better chance be, by being signed by a Calvin fucking Klein model than fucking <laughs> him getting that, that option signed up and, and signed up by Miami. And, you know, like the typical NBA player, I fucked up thing. I, 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 I'm amused by seeing it. You know, the, the notes app, uh, the, 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 you know, the, uh, the apology and all that. Like, in my opinion, the guy should have went on national TV, ESPN, and got fucking hammered by, you know, by somebody as far as like a, a reporter asking him questions. Because to me, I don't, I'm not all about hate speech. I don't, I don't like it. I don't condone it. I don't care what race you are. I don't care what creed you are. Like, I, you know, I, I, I have no tolerance for it. You and I were talking at first. I was like, yeah, they should have given him 30 games. I, I've scaled back on that. But I think that the, the league really needs to do a better job with like identifying an amount of words, 50, 75, whatever it is, uh, around all r- types of religion, races, creeds. And here are the words that we're going to eradicate from anybody associated with this league. And if I don't care what race you are, I don't care how good you are as a player or bad you, you are as a player. If you're caught saying these words, it's going to be a hefty fine. 15 games, 10 games, whatever it is. And, I, you know, to me, I don't like fines that are like five grand, 10 grand. I would rather NBA fining system to be percentage of pay because I want it. If somebody fucks up, I want them to feel it as much as anybody else fucks up. If you find a guy 10 grand that's making $10 million a year, they wipe their nose with that. If you find somebody 10 grand that's making the minimum, they're going to feel it. I want all players to feel that the same. And with hate, with hate speech, Bogues, I just, you know, it crawls up my skin. I don't like it. I have no toleration for it. And I know everybody fucks up and screws up for one time and another, but we got to know better. Now, look, does Myers Leonard deserve another chance? Yeah, for sure. Anybody's going to make a mistake. But I think that people tend to look the other way sometimes on uh, on different, you know, they sort of evaluate different hate speeches and what's said and who it's said to. And I think that the league sort of has to come together and identify some things and just sort of go across the board of what they think hate speech is and, uh, you know, how to deal with it and cope with it, to be honest with you. What do you think about it? Yeah, there's, there's two, there's, you know, there's words that just should never be uttered um, in the English language. And we know, we know a lot of them. Um, I think mm-hmm. your point about just keeping it, Having a list of words, I think, yeah, it makes sense. But I think um, there is a portion of the community, unfortunately, that that then will, you know, look at who said the word um, as well. That plays a part, you know. So, unfortunately, I agree with you. I don't care what color you are, what race, what religion, what creed. There's there's a list of words that we know are not, you know, they just shouldn't be spoken about in an insulting way publicly. And, you know, there's two ways people can go with this Myers-Leonard thing. And one was, like you said, complete ignorance. I didn't know what the word meant. Then there's people that think, well, if you're using that on a live stream, what, what words are you losing, using behind closed doors with your friends? You know, so 
Yeah. That's where he gets himself in trouble because no one's going to know now. You know, no one's going to know who's a true Myers-Leonard. He can say one thing and we know he's going to apologize regardless of if he is or if he isn't using those words on a regular basis. And then people are just going to assume. And unfortunately, he's going to have to now deal with that. And it's it's a tough thing. But yeah, you mentioned when we spoke that you'd give him the whole year and I pushed back pretty hard on that. I, I don't think he deserves sure. a whole year. I, I did some research on some slurs. Um, the late- Kobe Bryant, he got a 100K fine for, for calling a, a well-known referee a derogatory term for gay people. Starting with yeah, with F that we all know, Joakim Noah used the same word to a fan. He got 50K. These are no suspensions. Rondo got one game for a tirade against a, a well-known gay referee using the same language, even harsher. He got one game. So when you look at uh, the precedent, I think I think – you know, one or two games for Myers, um, which essentially it will be with his, you know, he's injured anyway, is, is about right when you look at previous indiscretions. But yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you though to, uh, you know, put out something that just basically says we're, we're not using these words are a no-go zone in our league. Then everyone knows where you stand and these are the, the penalties if if that happens. Yeah, I mean, the NBA is so good with, I mean, th- look, they've they put all their eggs in the basket of, look, we're social justice warriors you know we're gonna we're gonna do all of this, and I think that they have a, a chance now to take their league and be a testing site for this. You know you can't do this obviously across the world. You can't do it across the country, but in your league, saying look, we are not gonna take this hate speech. We are protecting everybody in this, and we want to be better in this league. We want to come to a higher standard, and we can't have this. We can't have people saying it in locker rooms. We can't say have it in during games and practices and workouts. And and it, we, it, this is just not us. We have to be above this. And this is what we want to be going forward. It's and you know and it's maybe some words that are like light, like sort of on the on the verge that maybe you hear in you know in songs or that are that are saying or it's sort of like language that you use that you don't think derogatory you know versus somebody but it is and you know you got to be better and here are the words that we're going to use that we're not going to use we're going to eradicate from our vocabulary and that's everybody and if you use them it's going to be a hefty fine we're not talking about bad language here and we're not you know they're not priests here we're talking about hate speech and we're talking about being better human beings if that's what you want to be going across you have to set this up to even to the point where like after the third or fourth offense it could even be a year suspension you know if this is what you're going to be we don't want this in our league and it's got to be from lebron james to johnny james and everybody in between and you can't let somebody off depending on how much money they make or how much of a star they are compared to you know not a star because you know how this league works you know like we talked about before ucla cheats and eastern kentucky gets the fucking wrath of it you gotta you got to police this. You got to have solid rules and nobody's you know nobody's above this law. And I think that if you want to be better and you want to make the humanity of this league better, that you got to do this and you got to police it and you got to do a be- you got to do a great job doing it and you know, work swiftly and just get it done, but you know, I mean, look, we all play that we all play God, right? We all play well, the league should do this, the league should do that. You know, um, I mean, it's easier said than done, but I think they need to do something going forward that protects all races and creeds. You know, the I, only issue I'm, I'm I have a big believer with the hate speech, hate speech legislation. Um, I agree. There's 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 a basket of words where you're like they, they shouldn't be uttered no matter what. 
is there are things today determined to be hate speech that are very interesting, such as male and female. You know, that that can be yeah. considered hate speech um, to some people. So, you really uh, kind of have to be careful about how far you string that bow because it, it can it can then come down to who's determining what, what hate speech is. I agree. There's a, there's a like I said, yeah. there's a basket of words. You know, we, we all know what those words are. The word Myers used is one of them. They're in the no-go zone, right? But like, let's say there's a there's someone that's heavily Christian, for instance. You know, family man believes male, female, mum, dad, child. You know, that that's considered hate speech by some people. So you just gotta have to be careful a little bit with the hate speech legislation. Um, we've seen governments, Canada specifically, there's been people, you know, countries around the world that have implemented some of this stuff, and you know, it can come down to someone believing that there's only man or woman um, by their religion or whatever it is. You could be of Islamic faith, you could be Christian, whatever, and that's that's what you believe. And there could be someone that says, "Well, I identify as you know X Y Z, whatever I identify as." Yeah. And you need to call me this. Well, that then contradicts with their religion, and then all of a sudden you've got hate speech. Hate speech. So then, who's right? Who's wrong? So it is a, a, a bit of a slippery slope once you get rolling with this. How far do you go? But as far as like. Those words, yep, get get them out, and, and and I don't think they should be uttered. Which which then leads us on to Jeremy Lin. That there's been an issue there. I don't know if you followed this one, but um, apparently somebody in the G League called him coronavirus at some point during a game. Mm-hmm. Now the interesting thing was when we spoke about this was fans weren't allowed in the G League. I don't even think they still are. I'm not sure if they are now. But when this first came out, we didn't know. We thought I assumed it was a fan, but then we realized, hey, there's no fans. So, it, it kind of got slowly put into the media that this is more than likely a, a, a rival player that said it to him. So, Jeremy Lin's obviously very outspoken about this. He's given emotional videos. The only issue I have with Jeremy Lin is he, is he won't, you know, he won't say who said it and when, which leaves it open to interpretation. But he's continuing to, to, to say it's an issue. So, there's some people arguing, well, if it's a big issue, that player- similar to Myers Leonard, should be named, should be fined, should be penalized, and we get on with life. Or kind of, you know, people are saying that stop stop banging on that drum to Jeremy Lin and, and let's get on with it. So, how do you see that one? I just thought it was very strange that they didn't name the player, they didn't name the person. And again, Myers Leonard was on every publication in the world, you know, or in the country at least, that, that covers basketball. And I think that, again, you know, to me, the perception, then again, perception is so big. And the perception is that the Myers Leonard situation is more important than the Jeremy Lin situation, which isn't the truth. Hate speech is hate speech. Everybody needs to be protected with this. And it's, and it, it seems like in this country, it's really not. And people weigh the, the significance of it. And I think, you know, you look at what's going on in San Francisco with, mm. you know, with, with, yep. with all the, the crime against Asian, the Asian American population. And it's really being swept under the rug. And, and I think that, look, like I said, if you want to make this league about what you say it's about, it's not about slogans and one-liners. It's about we, we got to take action. And look, they, ha- they obviously, d- they made their investigation. They caught somebody. Why wasn't this person brought to the forefront of this and dealt with? And maybe it was and it was, un- uh, you know, behind closed doors. I don't understand why it's not brought to the forefront like the Myers-Leonard situation. And, and to me, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. And it's not being, he- you know, it seems to me it's not really being dealt with like it's a big deal. It's yeah, we're picking and, who we get, I don't know. who we get kind of who we go crazy about, you know. And I think, like I said, I think some a part in it is who said it, 
you know, what was the context of, you know, there's an example with the Myers Leonard thing that I had here where LeBron James had quoted a rap song a couple of years ago that basically typed out the lyrics saying, I got that Jewish money, everything's kosher. Now, that was that was pretty big news as far as a few people in the Jewish community felt offended by that with the stigma of, you know, all Jewish people are rich and, and that kind of rhetoric. Um, I don't think it's necessarily hate speech, but it's not it's not great, and and that was just a fine. So I think, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you got to take your medicine. If you're Jeremy Lin and you're coming out with his story about that, I think um, he should, you know, he should name them. Or you know, they've said the G League Shams has basically said that the NBA G League has identified the player who said coronavirus towards Jeremy Lin in a game, and he's handling the matter internally with Lin's support. So is that going to be now what the G League does whenever there's there's some sort of um, someone says something stupid or does something stupid? We're just going to handle it in in, in house. Or are we then going to name the next person that does it for, for a different reason? Um, that's that's also that's, that's a double standard, a bit of hypocrisy. Yeah, Bogues, you can't you can't evaluate what a race or creeds more important than the other when it comes to hate speech. And I think that if you're dumb enough to say it, you need to be brought to the forefront. And I don't care who you are, what kind of race, religion, where, what gender. If you're dumb enough to say it, you need to be brought and dealt with. You know, and I, like I said, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody does stupid things. But if you want my respect as an organization or a leader, you deal with the best player and the worst player the same when it comes to things like this yep. and situations like this. And there's nobody that should be protected when they make thing, comments like that. You know, like end I said, day, it should be, be thrown person. off the world. Just end of the day, just be a good person. Like just be, just be a good human being. I don't care what where you're from, what you do, who you're having sex with what color your skin is, what church you go to, just be a good human being. I think a lot of it takes care of itself. I think we've, we're, everything is just getting so pulled into into race, religion, sexuality, creed, that it's like, oh, they did this because he's part of this group. It's like, no, just, just be a good human being. Like Treat people accordingly. You know, If you've just met them, treat them with respect. Give them a chance to be to fuck up. And then that, that's kind of my motto. I give I give people a chance to fuck up <laughs> first. And then, <laughs> then after that, yeah. it's a shit show. Like, you're kind of done with me. But I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt most times. You know what I mean? And if you're a good person, like, I keep you in my life. If you're not, I, I get on with life. But, um, yeah, I think we've just lost track of just with how political everything is. You know what else, folks? Yeah. You know what else? I think it seems like this in the last few years. Everybody wants their cause or their organization or their political party. Like, they have to be in the forefront. Like, my cause is more important than your cause. And there are causes that come together in the sense that it's all important. You know what I'm saying? It's all – these things yeah. are very important. Bubbles and I don't care what, what – yeah. And I don't care what – your, your, hey, look, your stuff's important, but so is mine. And I don't think we should weigh what cause, especially when it comes to human rights, is more important than the other. We can't rate it. It's all fucked up when you're going to say something hateful. And I think we have to deal with it. And I think you have to organize it. And you can't, like, rule on things case by case sometimes. Look, hate speech is hate speech. You got to you gotta identify what it is. And you have to deal with it and deal with it the same across the board. But you know, people get political and people like, well, my, you know, they, they take offense where they don't think their cause is getting, you know, as much traction as it should. And that cause is getting more traction. That's bullshit. And it's not the case. Like this stuff has to be dealt with. And I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I just want it to be consistent and I want everybody to be treated the same on it. Agree. Let's move on from that. Something more. 
positive basketball-wise, Draymond Green is having a unbelievable season statistically for one main reason. It's a one-of-a-kind um, season. He's one of the, f- I believe, among all players who have ever been on the court for at least 550 minutes in a single season. This is according to Hoops Hype's research. No other player has ever finished the year recording both more rebounds and assists than points. Draymond Green currently 5.9 points a game, 6.0 rebounds a game, and 8.4 assists a game. It would be a one-off. What do you think about that? It's interesting. It's a very interesting stat. And it, it's one of those guys, like Draymond's one of those guys that like you look and if he's by himself, you know, as a player and you're trying to evaluate him like it, like in a vacuum, you're like, well, he's not great at sort of anything except maybe passing and he's a competitor and things like that. And people want to like kill him about his lack of offense. But the guy sort of is their machine when it comes to winning and playing winning basketball. I mean, the guy is a leader. I mean, he's always talking. He's vocal. The defensive side his basketball IQ is probably top 10 in the league and the way he plays and he's not flashy with it but it's unbelievable that like it's great that he's a player like that that doesn't need the ball in his hands in the sense that like he doesn't need to score he's not hunting shots he's a guy that passes rebounds sets screens and does all that other stuff but he's such a smart cerebral player that it's it's amazing to watch and you know when it's especially when they have all their weapons in place and some of the things that he can do. You played with him, Bogues. What were your experiences mm. with him, and what what were you seeing? And did his role ever change in your years there? Like, did or is it always the same? Well, he's dropped off scoring. There's no doubt. I don't I don't know what's happened there. He was much more aggressive trying to score. I mean, he's not the best scorer in the world. He'll tell you that. But he was he still was aggressive. Whereas now, you know, he's looked kind of toward, you know, similar to what my career tra- trajectory went like towards the end of my career. I wasn't as much of a threat offensively, if at all, at times. And on that team right now, it, it, you know, he needs to be around 10 points a game, um, in my opinion, for them to at least make the playoffs and, and, and make, make a half-decent run in the first round. But yeah, I, I don't think six is enough. I, I think he does a lot of fantastic things. I mean, what people don't talk about is his basketball IQ's up there, but he changes a lot of a lot of possessions just because he makes the right reads, especially defensively. He, he just knows where to be. He knows plays. He does his scouting stuff, does his homework. Um, he just breaks stuff up. And, and then just his length and knowing what you he'll, – he'll push you to do what you don't want to do. Whether, you know, you don't want to go left, he'll push you to go left. If you score on him, he'll shake your hand. But he'll, he'll play the percentages and, and he just gets his hand on a lot of deflections, causes a lot of havoc down there. But it just – I guess it's a message for any kids and anyone out there, especially young kids in junior basketball and high school, you can have a phenomenal year and break break records without scoring. And that, this is a prime example. He's, he's going to be – you know, have one of the most unique stat lines if it finishes that way. One other thing within those stats, he's no player has recorded more assists to a teammate than Green has to Curry thus far this season. That's another interesting one because that is. Draymond's not a he's not your pick and roll ball handler. It's, it's he's the one you'd understand if it was like Luca dropping off you know passes to Porzingis for dunks or whatever, right? Because because you know he's coming off those pick and rolls and making the play. Draymond's a lot in handoffs, rolls, making that lob pass to what you know whoever it is, but. Just specifically to Steph is, is pretty amazing. Um, it's a pretty amazing stat, and I think they go well so to get so well together, and they know how to play together. Yeah, you know, and young players today, and I'm talking about across the board. I'm not talking just NBA. I'm talking mostly probably younger, you know, high school, college. They don't know how to be winning players. You know, like they know how to 
work with a trainer and work on all that bullshit they'll never use in games. But they don't know how to be a winning player and impact winning. And Draymond Green, like I said, if I was in free agency and I wasn't, I was not a good team and I had like 25 million in cap room, I wouldn't sign Draymond Green. But what I would do is if I had a team that was pretty good, I would, I would spend $25 million easily on Draymond Green because he's going to take me to that next level. He's not going to be a guy that I just give to on an awful team and he's going to score 30, you know, he's not going to do what Julius Randle does and score like, you know, whatever, yeah, 20 and, be, and, and 12. He almost look worse in that situation, in my opinion. Like, yes. if, you put, if you put him on a shitty team and you're like, hey, we're going to give you the max, you're our max guy, we need you to score 20 and get 10 boards, like, not him. Yeah. But I totally agree with you. But yeah. He, yeah, and he knows how to win. So for any young player, Learn how to cut, learn how to pass, learn how to set a screen, roll to the rim. When you catch it on a roll, how to pass to an open player when they, they when, when they come to, you know, when they come to rotate up to you and make the play to somebody else. That's what Draymond Green does to an unbelievable level. And what I think what makes players at high levels become great is when they have great confidence in their game. And he's got unbelievable confidence in his game. And that's what he does that impacts winning to an umpteenth degree. He probably pisses off his teammates, his coaching staff, other players that he plays against, but that's just him. And he's just, he's one of those guys you probably fucking hate to play against, but you want on your team. And he makes, he's a winning player. And that's what, he doesn't need the ball in his hand like that. Well, he does because he averages eight and a half assists a game, but he, the guy just knows how to play and knows how to impact winning. And I think if anything you could take out of a film study of Draymond Green is how he impacts winning, especially without the ball in his hands on the other stuff that he does. So that, I, I do respect the guy tremendously with that. Yeah, and he cops a lot of shit for not scoring 20 a game. But yeah, it's fun to watch nonetheless and just a unique stat for our listeners out there sometimes. I don't really like – I'm kind of like pro. I don't like these stats that are, you know, on the second Wednesday – you know, of every month he has forty. Like they're just—that's what they do these days. The first player in franchise history to score twenty points with his left hand while taking a shit at halftime. You know, you're just like, all right, cool. Like, don't need to hear about all that. But th- this one was a. This one was just a unique, cool, cool set of stats. I did lead the league in this great stat that I think was tremendous. I led the NBA in calories and every day that ended in Y. <laughs> and that's that's a stat that I take res- I mean, that's much respect on my end. Just so you know, I had a, I had a crew manager in Milwaukee that was um, his whole thing was he's he's tried every hot dog in every NBA arena. <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's great. Yeah, and he, he he wasn't a like a big dude or a healthy dude, but um, Dwayne Wilson, he's now with he was with the Kings. He's no longer in the league, I don't think. But awesome dude, he was with me in Milwaukee, and and his whole thing was I'd, I'd come back from my pregame warm up, I'd see him in the locker room pregame after he's given all the gear out and he'd be eating a hot dog. He's like, ah, this one's this one's bottom five. <laughs> Just That's fan fucking tough. Yeah, and he's he's had every one. I mean, some of some of these arenas back in the day, though, those hot dogs might have they might have been marinating for about thirty odd years. You know, like the Seinfeld episode oh, where uh, God. where Kramer has that. I think he buys that hot dog for one of the dudes that's been there for at a movie theater for God knows how long. I think in the Boston Garden they still have fucking hot dogs they're selling when Havlicek stole the ball that night. So <laughs> yeah, I agree. 
I totally agree. All right, NBL, real quick. Our good friend, Ryan Brokoff, or as you say, Broker Roth, uh, made his NBL debut. Yeah. He made his NBL debut. Um, he had seven points and one rebound in 14 minutes. He played limited minutes because he was stuck in quarantine for, for two weeks in a hotel room. So trying to find his legs, and they're going to they have that luxury of um, easing him in. But Southeast Melbourne, the Phoenix, as they're called, uh, doing pretty well, doing pretty well before he showed up. And I think he's going to give them a real good chance to, to make a finals run. They're, they're a new franchise. I think it's what their second, third, fourth year. Don't know exactly, but um, yeah, he's he's looking good. Came first shot was off a pin down for three, contested all net, knocked another three down. Quite nice statistically, but that did very very well. So shout out to our guy there, and and he's um driving around in their, uh, <laughs> their team car, which I put in the chat between pro and. <laughs> Pro and I and uh, Brokoff are in a chat and uh, we're just giving him shit about a decal blazing car that he got to drive while he's in uh, in Melbourne. I told him to slip on a court decal so they could upgrade him to a fucking Nissan Altima. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know if they, they might have used the old decals, but another thing with the decals, um, a few of the players, not sure where it's going, but they've, they've tried to make some changes. They've trialed last season's decals. So from the season before this one that- that pe- look, people still slipped that season. It was nowhere near as bad. So it definitely is a step up. They've tried them. A few of my old teammates with the Kings have said they've been pretty good so far. They haven't had uh, many slips. So that's a positive. So the NBL has gone, but you know, and tried to try to help and fix. So I know I, I shit on Larry and the handling of the decals than I have in the past, but this is some positive kind of kudos to them that they've they've tried to change things and now it's a matter of where you know is, is it going to stay that way the rest of the season next season what are they going to do there but I know they've tried it players are happy so let's hope they do that but the NBL Cup is over pro so that was the cup that was mid-season they actually counted towards regular season games but they were a separate competition for a, a cup trophy Perth Wildcats won it so some prize money goes there congratulations to the Perth Wildcats but that's over now everyone goes back to a regular home and away season I think the league is wide open. I think Melbourne and Perth are your clear number one and two, in my opinion. I think Perth, especially the fact that they now have a, a, lo- a home-loaded schedule towards the end of the season, a lot of home games left. I mean, three to three, three and four make it, and that's it, top four. But three, four, five, six, maybe seven right now are all still in contention, in my opinion. I think New Zealand will struggle. But yeah, I think you look at Adelaide, you look at Sydney, you look at the Phoenix, a few other teams in there, Illawarra, they're all up in the running for getting those spots. So at least it'll be an exciting finish. Yeah, I need somebody to DM me some uh, sites to watch the games on. Like, um, yeah, I, I know somebody hit me up about like a Twitch service or whatever, a streaming service. Twitch. So I got to- Yeah, I think it's on Twitch or you could just pay for the app that, that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. But <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I think the Twitch, great. Service, the Twitch service works, uh, I believe. And I'm sure you can just get a bunch of um, pop-up porn ads, but watch it for free somewhere um, through some sort of illegal server. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where the fuck they come from, man. I, you know, man, they come up in the craziest spots. So yeah, I'll watch out for that though. Yeah, but at least, I mean- We'll try to get you to at least tune in towards the end when the finals start because the finals games are they are pretty fun. Three game series in the first round and then a five game series in the, in the final or grand final as we call it. So they're always fun to watch. But we'll get you on that on that bandwagon. Fact or fake news? What do you got this week? All right, Bogues, and we're gonna change it up this week. I'm actually gonna read to you. So you know, instead of you reading to me, I want to you know they care about your you know your fucking two cents, not mine. So. With the fire sale that's happening at Houston, which uh, has been reported across NBA media, they want to trade away all their aging role players. In uh, if they do so, are they three years away from being a playoff team or less? Three years. Ooh. 
So, so, so say the they the trade away. Year. So the fourth year from, from next season, the fourth year will be a playoff year, you're saying, right? No, yeah, no. Will they be a playoff team within three years? So if they, so just let's, let's go through their roster real quick. Like if they trade off, you know, if they trade off like uh, Eric Gordon, they're not going to trade John Wall. But if they get rid of like Gordon and P.J. Tucker and say Victor Oladipo, right? Are they going to, if that's what a fire sale is to them, with that team and the fact that they almost have, I mean, they've got some picks from Brooklyn, but remember, most of their picks, most of their good picks are going to be taken from the the previous trades with Oklahoma City. Um, Do you see this team being able to be a playoff-bound team if it was top eight, not 10, if it was a top eight, can they finish eight? Or, you know, can they finish in the top eight in the West in the next three years? Fake news. If they go there, go there. fake news? Fake news, yeah. not in the West. If they're on the East, yeah, I'd probably give them close to a tick. But I, I don't know what, what what are they – I mean, I don't know what, what they're trying to be yet. I don't know what they're – it's kind of hard to tell because, like you said, it's, there's a fire sale. At one point, they offered PJ Tucker a pretty decent extension on his current deal and then PJ wanted more. So, maybe they were thinking, look, we still need a veteran around, veteran around because we're going to get some guys in the offseason. Maybe they've got some some kind of an ear into a few max guys. I don't know. But I don't know what kind of team they are. I don't know what they are right now. John Wall there long term. What are they doing with Gordon, like you said? So, I think even if they blow it up, I think they're probably a bit further away. They're going to have to go full rebuild. They're, they're in that no man's land where they're, you know, even if they, they bring back a competitive roster, they're still not making the playoffs in the West. So I would say fake news. You? Yeah, I'm saying fake news. It's just like without the picks, you know, with the, all these pick swaps and like draft picks they got to give to other teams, I just don't see how they reload their team. And with John Wall, you know, like, like if they get off, like Oladipo is a free agent anyway, even if they can't trade him, you know, he's 21 million, he's off, right? Eric Gordon has had some, you know, he's been effective, but he's had some health issues and he's got three more years left in his deal. I don't know if the last year is guaranteed. You know, Christian Wood was a good signer with their young players, but with very limited picks because the picks they're going to get from Brooklyn in the, um, in the Harden deal, you know, those are going to be late picks. They're not going to really help you unless you hit the lottery on it. Like, and if they get high picks, that those picks I think are going to go to uh, Oklahoma City one way or another. So it's, it's, and they're only going to have about 20 million in cap room or so next year. Like, John Wall makes 44 million. Eric Gordon makes 18. So now that's 62 out of your like 105 right there. Christian Wood makes 13. And then the rest are like minimums and, you know, they'll have roster spots. But I just don't think they have the firepower. Their best asset right now, besides Christian Wood, is their coach. I think I think Silas is a Stephen Silas is a very good coach. And Will Weaver, the head assistant. Oh, that's right. Will yeah, Weaver's guy. there. I forgot about that. And Jay yeah. Sean Tate. Shout out to Jay Sean Tate. I hope he. I hope in this last portion of the season they play him forty. Let him get his numbers up a little bit. But yeah, they're there. I mean, they're in no man's land right now. I don't. I don't see him. You know. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't see it, and I don't believe in the GM yet. I mean, yeah, it's unproven. What we they've done know, with what kind of team they're going to be? Yeah. Like, are they, they going to be a run and gun team? Are they going to be a hybrid team? I think that's a part of why Will Weaver's there too because he's a, he's a very good development coach um, very good with individuals and developing guys and being a good X's and O's analytics guy so I think he's a perfect fit and, and my hunch was that Houston saw the writing on the wall and that's why Will's there so I think they have a good group of coaches I think they just will take some time I think they need to go kind of the OKC route where they start blooding some new young guys make some good picks try to acquire some more picks but yeah if Eric Gordon and John Wall are two guys that are taking up the cap you're not doing much in the West 
No, I agree. All right, so we talked about the Phoenix Suns today, uh, tonight, mm-hmm. and their hot start in the first half of the season. Are they a true threat in the Western Conference come playoff time? Can they can they get to a conference final? Fake news. Yeah, I think they'll get to. I think they'll get to the second round at best. I, I don't see them going beyond that. I think once the playoffs ramp up, as we know, grinded out basketball, especially the West. Man, the West is really tough. If they get to the third round, which would then be the conference finals, essentially, you know, that is a massive overachievement for them. And, and I'll, you know, I'll battle them if they get there because that'll be well deserved. But I just don't. I don't. I don't not think they'll get there. Yeah, I'm. I'm sort of with you. I don't like to agree with you on every question that we have, but with this, I, I do agree with that. I think in the regular season, what they're doing is really good. You know, I think they're going to win a ton of games. I think with the injury issue to, you know, Anthony Davis being out extra time, I think that they can make a, you know, get a little bit more separation between them and the Lakers. They could even win the Pacific Division, but I don't see them. Maybe they can win a round. Maybe they can, you know, maybe they can win a round. Maybe they could even win two, but I just don't think they have enough when it comes down to it. Now, I've been wrong before. I said Utah didn't have enough, you know, and they're going to fucking. You know, they're on target to break fucking every record impossible with wins. But I think just the offensive firepower in the playoffs, I just don't think, think they'll have enough. I'll say fake news. Don't agree too much. We've got dudes queuing up tweets already. You guys agree too much. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, we ain't agreeing. <laughs> I, I, don't give a, I don't give a fuck what this is. Victor Oladipo recently rejected a two-year $45 million extension from the Rockets. Was that a wise de- uh, decision on his part to do so? It wasn't. So fake news. I, I, I don't know why, what his gripe was. I, I assume it wasn't the money. I assume it was the length of contract. Um, that was probably his gripe with it because you're still at 22.5 a year. I don't think he's a max guy as of today. And I think he's got a pretty hefty injury history as we speak today. Still a fantastic player. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's a all-star star. I think he's that next tier superstar. But if he's carrying your team, I don't think you go that deep. As a second option on a team, I think he's very good. So, I think it's fake news. I think he should have taken that money. So, thank God we don't agree. I say it's a good thing that he didn't. Now, here's why. I agree with you. I don't think that he's like, I don't think he's a top tier player in the league that's going to demand a max salary. I don't. And I don't think he's going to carry you for wins. I think he's a guy that could be your second or third option and most likely a third, you know, closer to a third option to a second. But here's the thing. How many, especially come July, when teams have cap room and they're dying to get players, especially if you, you know, if you strike out on your top guy or your top two guys, and then you go and see what's left over and you got to spend your cap room. And you know how these teams are with cap room. You know, it's sort of like me, me with money to burn in a pizza place. I mean, they're going to fucking say, you know what? Yeah, we're going to give it like how many average players, you know, how many like not average, but how many like just okay players that are like top 100, 100, 120 players in the league get 80 to 90 million con- dollar contracts over four years. I think in free agency, he's going to get money. Now, is he going to be worth it? Is he worth 30 million a year? No, but I think with teams are going to have cap room and they are going to strike out on guys that might be high. Plus, the free agent market's not going to be great this summer anyway. I think that he could demand probably more than that 45 that he got offered over two years. I, I think he'll probably get, you know, you're probably going to see him in the neighborhood of like 75 over three, you know, right. 75 yeah. over eight. Yeah. And, and that's the only reason why, folks. You see what how teams spend their money, especially it's like 
you got billionaire owners that like thrill of the chase. They don't like losing anybody. They lose out on their top couple of guys. This guy said, no, this guy's going to this super team. All right, fuck it. Let's just go with this guy. Yep. You know, and I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen close up where you strike out on the guy that you want and then you just sign someone else to like, you know, 80, 90, 95. Maybe he has bucks. a promise. Maybe he has a promise too. I mean, we don't know. Maybe he has, yeah. maybe he has a team that's reached out to his agent and said, we saw they're offering you this. Don't do it. We'll give you double that. Whatever it is, that happens a lot in our league. As much as teams and yeah. agents and everyone else and their mum and their dad uh, deny it, it happens. Trust me. Um, so maybe that's the case as well, and then he'll have the last laugh. But I hope he gets you know more than he's worth because you always want to be overpaid and underpaid in our league, and that's just um, yeah. But I, I just think. I mean, I like it from Houston. I like the offer. Like, it's ballsy. They're just like, you know what? Like, we're not going to be any good. We don't want to overpay for this guy. We're in a rebuild, but can we sneak him in and at least get some scoring? No harm, no foul for them. And, yeah. and then he moves on. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Q&As. Got some good ones again. Uh, hey, Andrew, another question for you. So, obviously, you had, had a question answered before. Who was your NBL team growing up? I always loved the Giants, which was North Melbourne Giants back in the days of Scott Fisher and later Daryl McDonald. Before they merged, I have a tough time supporting Melbourne United because of the Tigers legacy. So, pro the Melbourne United used to be the Melbourne Tigers and then they changed names and whatever and rebranded. Um, the Melbourne Tigers, of course, were Andrew Gaze's team for, you know, almost two decades. So, a very famous team in Australian basketball. Anyway, what, what team, he also finishes with, what team would you support if you returned to Australia and had no time association with the Kings? Cheers. And that one is from Damien in Bo Morris, which is hopefully the area I will be building on if the council lets me. So, my favorite team was the North Melbourne Giants, funnily enough. They were- um, Brett Brown used to coach them pro back when I was a kid. So, he was the head, uh-huh. he was the head coach there. And um, yeah, I just enjoyed the way they played. They got a, a, a New York legend by the name of Daryl McDonald. I'm not sure if you know the name, but he's been out huh, here now yeah. for living out here since he played here. So, 20, 30, 40 years. His kids were born and raised here. But I had his jersey as a kid. He came to my school once when I was in primary school. Signed my jersey. So, real fond memories of that. I really enjoyed following that team. And then they, they merged with another team. They got in financial trouble, merged. And then I kind of- The mystique was lost a little bit. Um, they merge into the Victoria Titans. Still followed them a little bit. But um, the other question would be, who would I support if I was not affiliated with the Kings? Um, it definitely wouldn't be Melbourne United. I can tell you that. I probably wouldn't support anyone specifically. I would, I would just support the underdogs. I, I would probably this season, I would be supporting the Illawarra Hawks just because I love an underdog story. They've bounced back really well. Brian Gorgian's there, who was a former coach of mine, so I've enjoyed watching that. So, I'd, I'd just kind of chop and change and be a fair weather fan for once because it, there's you know no team in Melbourne that I would want to support. What about you, Pro? Who's your NBL team? Give us your NBL team. Hey, my favorite team is whatever fucking team Andrew Gaze played for. He was a fucking <laughs> walking fucking bucket when he stepped on the floor for Seton Hall. First of all, the guy had fucking great. I, I was like, I was like 13 years old. And I'm, I'm looking and I say, who the fuck is this guy? He's got gray hair. I mean, he was, you know, he was alive when fucking Kennedy got shot. Who, who, you know, what the fuck? And th- then he just makes every shot, every shot. That guy was like the Oscar Schmidt to me, like him and Oscar Schmidt were my guys internationally. And uh, so whatever team he played for, I, I support. And then I support today whatever team he supports. That fucking guy, he's got my respect. I love that dude. You got to set something up where I talk to that motherfucker. He, that guy, much respect. I actually, one of my best friends was his assistant coach at Seton Hall named Rod Baker who works for the Sixers now. But he was his assistant at, uh, at Seton Hall, went on to coach at UC Irvine. But uh, Andrew Gaze is ridiculous, man. I'll give you a funny story, bro. So, 
Sure. Um, so he played for the Melbourne Tigers. The Melbourne Tigers were his father's kind of team. He, he brought them up. They were kind of an amateur team back in the day, brought them into the professional league. Anyone who thinks Melbourne Tigers thinks Lindsay Gaze, which is Andrew's father, and Andrew Gaze, right? So they were around 20, 30 uh-huh. years, big legacy junior programs still running today. Something interesting that I found is so when Larry Kesselman bought the Melbourne Tigers outright, he changed the, mm-hmm. the basically changed the name to Melbourne United, which probably isn't a Great point for Andrew Gaze and and, and, and his father, Lindsay, and uh, probably a bit of a, a sticking point for him. But now, <laughs> Andrew Gaze is employed by Larry Kesselman to do league duties, <laughs> commentary and whatnot. So, just an interesting tidbit for people out there. It must, I, I think, you know, it must hurt Andrew's heart a little bit just because Larry is essentially the guy that ended his father's legacy and club. You know, it's it's just funny how the world works. But now, now he's working for that very man. Oh, man. Talk about a punch in the gut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've just, I actually discussed it with someone last week. Uh, someone brought it up to me and I was like, I never really thought of that. But yeah, just just an interesting one because um, that is one of the greatest sporting franchises of uh, Australian basketball history and, and now it's it's really gone full circle. But um, not to end on a downer, I'll, I'll tell him you said a lot. He actually coached me my first year in Sydney too, Pro. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. What kind of coach? Like fiery just or laid back or? A bit of both. He was um, he was definitely emotional on the sidelines. He wasn't. A, he never swore. Ever rarely swore, like, I mean, I probably heard him swear one time and it was probably off the court just telling jokes more than it was on. He kind of tried to never really got refs. He, his whole, he'd never, he never wanted to get a technical foul. That was his goal as a coach, <laughs> which, which I disagreed with heavily, as you'd know, because I think there's a strategic time and place to get a tee. But look, he was um, really, he ran a, an offense called the shuffle, which is kind of yep. a lot of back cuts and stuff like that and, and kind of real methodical. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of what he really was passionate about. And, and we ran it pretty well at times, but we had, we just, I just don't think we had a roster that fit well with that style of play at the time. But, you know, we made the semifinals that year and then, and then and he moved on and now he's um he's doing commentary so we get to see him on our screens every day yeah if he doesn't like swearing i i don't know if we should set each other up then because yeah, i don't think he'd not. like me very probably much not. Yeah, no, he'll probably. throw up throw up within the first minute next one hey bogues and pro love in the pod and the no bs keep it up my question is do you think becky hammond will ever get a head coach of an nba head coaching job of an nba organization and if she does will she get the respect from all the players thanks legends shane heem skirk from adelaide south australia what do you think I think she's going to be a head coach at some point. I, I think that the league is, you know, dying for a female coach at some point. And I think that you know, they're going to really try to work hard to get at some point a, a female head coach in the NBA. And I think that she'll be number one on their list. And I can't tell you if players are going to respect her or not. I mean, obviously, you know, she knows her stuff. I mean, she's been in the league for a while. She sort of knows how the league runs. She's been in for, what, five, six years or so. Maybe I got that wrong. Maybe it's more. You know, you just can't tell, you know, especially when things are going badly. Like we talked about last week, most likely coaches in this league are going to get bad jobs and tough jobs. And if that's going to be her, it's going to be tough. Now, young kids today, they're used to all types of changes in the game. And maybe younger kids like growing up in AAU and, and things now might be used to more females in their life as far as coaches concerned. That's the one thing about female coaches, Bogues, that, you know, that I had a, not an issue with, but a, a concern with where women that usually probably women, I would say about 80% of women that come up, play college in WNBA, probably about 80% have been coached by a man at some point, you know, assistant coach or head coach where I would say less than 2% are 
of, and probably maybe even less than that, of, of male players coming up has ever been coached by a female before. So it's going to be new experience if they, they haven't done so. Now they've been female assistants in the league for a while now, you know, for a few years. So maybe they're, they're used to it more. And, and I don't know. I can't tell you. It depends on what type of players they have, what type of character of players they have. I can't answer that because I, I, I don't, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think, like, I, I think she'll be prepared. I think, you know, she's learned from Popovich and, you know, she's been around the game for a bit. I think I just can't I don't know if players would respect her or not just because I don't know what type of players they're going to have on that on that organization organization when she gets a job. Mm. I mean my thing first off is I hope she's hired because she can coach. I don't uh, if she's hired because she's a female uh, wrong. So if that's just a box tick to like you said the league push of hiring a woman, I would I, I as a team owner if I hypothetically owned a team I would strongly advise against it. I want her hired because she can coach. So if she can coach, fantastic. I don't care. We said before who you are, what you do, race, religion, gender. If you can coach and get my team wins, I'm hiring you. That's the first thing. As far as a criticism from, uh, sorry, the the players handling her, I think there will be a bit of a transition for the first female coach as far as if that is a coach that has to get into a player or players. Let's say they come in to a training session or a half-time speech and, and have to light up a player and, and, and MF someone and whatever. That's when we'll see how that all plays out because I know for a fact there'll be some people that don't like that from a man, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, now it's a, it's a female and, you know, who knows where that all goes. But there, there will be a transition period. There will be, you know, it will be a pioneering move for the first female, whoever does it. I, I, I have a hunch the first female coach – won't do well, that this is my hunch. If I have a crystal ball, I'm going to crystal ball it. And then I think the second, third, fourth will do very well. That, that'll be my hunch because I think the first one, like you said, I think there's so much desperation from that that gender equality side of things that it might not be the right hire or the right person. I think someone might be pushed to do it for the wrong reasons and that's my only concern with it. But I think, look, I think there's a lot of, yeah, I think there's a lot of females out there that, that think differently and probably in a better way at times with even just handling conflict and whatnot and nature versus nurturers, you know, a, a, a mum and a dad. And I, I see this raising kids, right? My wife handles things way different than I do. Like I'm more dust yourself off, get up, suck it up kind of attitude where she's like, nah, the dude's got a broken leg. Like we need to go to the hospital. <laughs> you know, so it's like, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's where that could be a positive for, you know, team harmony and culture. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, but like I said, I just want, I want to make sure it's not a box tick, that it's an actual qualification tick. Mm-hmm. All right, next one. I am absolutely loving your podcast. I like all the formats, but especially the basketball podcast with Pro and the My Journey podcast. My question relates to the com- to a comment you made in the last basketball podcast. You said that Steve Kerr wins the award for the all-time best opportunity walked into. I would like to ask what you and the Warriors team's expectations were going into 14-15 season. The previous season, you had been knocked out by the Clippers in the first round, and Steve obviously had not coached there before. At what stage did you realize that you were a realistic chance to win the championship? C- keep up the great entertainment, and that's from Stefan Larson in Sydney uh, I definitely wouldn't have thought we would win a championship coming into that season I thought we were there to compete get to a second third round maybe at best um, and, and just kind of build maybe get to a conference finals and then and then hopefully get to a finals year after or, or, or the second year but I'd probably say two months into the season like we just went on a massive run to start the season off and I think it um, the David Lee injury in preseason put Draymond into the lineup and it just changed things for us. I mean, David Lee was a fantastic player, but I think Draymond's, you know, role 
which he still is doing today, brought something different. I mean, David Lee was more a 20 and 10 guy, um, wasn't the role player type as far as, you know, locking down defensively and doing the little things. He was more very talented to get you 20 and 10. But then once you factored in having Steph and Clay next to him and, and myself and whatnot, we probably didn't need that as much. We needed a guy like Draymond that was happy to do all, all the all the heavy lifting with the little things. And, and that got us to a point where we were, I don't know what our record was. I'd have to look it up. But we were we were rolling at one point. So, yeah, probably about two two months into the season, I'd say Christmas, New Year's, we were like, we, we have a legit chance to, to go deep. And, and then it just kept going and going and going. And then- you look back and you're holding a championship ring. So I'm not sure if you've have you ever been a part of a team like that, Pro, with with kind of you didn't really know where your expectations were coming into whatever season. Like you knew you were going to be good, but you didn't know where. And then all of a sudden, as time went on, you're like, shit, like we have a chance to do something. Yeah, I mean, probably the only experience I had was with Kobe in 09 when they had Gasol. You know, they got Gasol at uh, trade deadline in 08 and or right around there and you know they they lost to the celtics and then coming to the training camp watching those guys play and you know first month of the year you're like yeah yeah this is gonna be legit and you you, you saw that i just remember you guys um i was with dallas and talking to chandler parsons and like i didn't know if you guys were a fluke like you guys won like 18 in a row or something like that bogues that year didn't you didn't you win uh, some crazy amount of games? We won a fair bit that, that year, and we also won. I think it was the following year when Luke Walton coached. We went. We had some sort of yeah. We, we, I think we won twenty something straight, and then we lost. I think I remember we lost at Milwaukee on like the last game of a seven game road trip or something. Yeah, and I remember Chandler Parsons saying, "Pro, these guys are juggernauts. They're not just three point shooters. They could switch one through five, and they can do this, and they move the ball and." And I didn't know if it was going to be a fluke or it was legit. You know, you're in your own cocoon sometimes in the NBA, your own team. And just watching you guys, it's ridiculous. And, you know, you could tell what championship level teams, like I said, with Kobe, when they had like Derek Fisher and Gasol and they had Lamar Odom and those guys, like they, you just knew, like they shared the ball. They knew, they knew each other. They, they knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. They moved the ball. They, you know, they defended. They were all over the court. They talked. They, you know, it's different when you have a team like that, not the one that's just put together the first year. It's tough. And I think you guys had a lot of continuity together. And like you said, when you made that lineup switch uh, with, you know, with, you know, getting, you know, with Draymond and more of a, a you know, function in the offense into the team, it's just, um, yeah, it was a special team to watch with you guys, man. Just how you could defend and switch and move the ball and shoot and just like it, it, it was, it was a fun, you know, some teams like win, but they're ugly to watch. And you just don't want to fucking watch it. But there's some teams that win and you're like, fuck, you know, get, I, I'd pay to see these guys play. You know, these guys are great. And, you know, you guys are a fun team to watch. Yeah, it was fun to be a part of. And, and I think we, you know, arguably for kids out there again, listening, like that was an opportunity that Draymond took with two hands um, as as ill-feeling as it was for David Lee, who was an all-star the year before, played really, really well, maybe two seasons before was an all-star, um, put up some massive numbers, came back from injury to, to a limited minute role, and you commend him for accepting that throughout the season. He went from 30, 40 minutes a game to teens, if that, 10, 15 minutes at times, some games not even playing. But on the flip side, Draymond was a guy that was a second-round pick um, was almost out of the league, didn't know whether he was a three or a four, and then put him in the lineup and he took that opportunity with two hands and never let it go and he is where he is today. So there's two examples there of being a good teammate that I think all kids can look at. 
No, and that's where I think Steve Kerr, like we talked about, like walking into situations like, look, like I think he earned his money there being able to make those lineup changes. Like a lot of coaches that will step into a situation like that may not have made that change. And I think it's not about X's and O's a lot when you have teams like that. They just flow themselves almost. It's it's dealing with the egos, dealing with hard situations and not hiding from them. You know, because it's a really good player you're talking to. A lot of coaches like to bully the young, you know, the 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 guys lower on the bench. But being able to make a lineup change like that, you know, that's a that's a tough deal that Steve had to do. And you know, I mean, it, it ended up being a, a, such a great deal uh, for him. Imagine if he took that Knicks job, though. By the way, oh, but that, well, that's, that was my point about last podcast when like best opportunity walked into people forget that the other offer he had before we offered him was from the Knicks for the same money I think they offered him five years 25 or something and he, yeah. he was um and iron about it and probably was like it's good money but it's a it's not a great roster it's not a great situation the whole Dolan thing and he waited 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 I don't think they guaranteed us like fourth year though I think they oh, gave him it? like four years yeah that's what I think I, someone told um I got that intel somewhere where like they, they weren't going to guarantee him the fourth year. Sometimes the Knicks are just fucked up how they do things, you know, and they could have had a guy like that. But then again, like we talked about it, it didn't matter who the fuck was. Like you could have like Red Auerbach, Phil Jackson, Lombardi, fucking Bill Belichick. It didn't matter who you fucking had. Like you weren't going to win there, especially if you had to run the triangle with the team they had, you know, and – like he took a chance because yeah, you guys had a lot of talent, but there was no guarantee you're going to win a championship. Like it, even though right, like if you play like you know revisionist history, you're like, oh, it's an easy decision. Well, the fucking Phil Jackson made him, you know, made him throughout his career. He, you know, he was big an influence with Kerr, I would assume. Yeah, and it'd be you know to say no to him to go to Golden State was still you know it wasn't a lock that he was going to win a championship. So interesting. Yeah, he would have won a. One way ticket out of there after a couple of years, I think, with that New York roster. <laughs> That's what he would have won. Yeah, he would have won. He would have probably been the producer on the fucking uh, TNT show with Shaq and those guys, not even on air. <laughs> yeah, that, the Knicks. The Knicks just can't. I mean, sorry, they've got. I think they're on the right track. I think Thibs plays a big part. We'll discuss that. But they they <laughs> they've been in the doldrums for so long, man. Um, which is yeah. yeah. Okay, a story they just for can't get day. out of their own way. That's it. Yeah. Um, next one, love the podcast. The only one, only sport one to listen to. I have an NBL related question. Last season, there was a lack. There was a lot of comments from various people about your minutes lack of, and some games you were only playing around twenty, whereas the season before you logged larger minutes around thirties, mid thirties sometimes more. Was this a request from you to only play 20 to 24 minutes or did Coach Weaver talk to you before the season that this was his strategy? We had a great season, so it clearly didn't matter. But there were games when you were rolling. And then you'd be pulled out for for some rest. That's from Craig in Brisbane, big Kings fan. Um, look, I was frustrated at times with Will. Will's big thing was we're, we're playing for a championship. We're not playing about you know we're not playing for regular season. Uh, we're going to be up there somewhere, so we want to make sure that everyone gets enough rest and rehab, and we're going to take our time with injuries because we don't need a rush back. And I totally got that. But I'm not going to lie, there were, you know, I had some injuries I was battling through. My form wasn't great through different parts of the season. And then I'd have a game where, you know, in the first quarter I'd have, I'd be, you know, five for five, I had 10 points, you know, five rebounds, three blocks. And then my sub would come the same time and I'd be like, 
I'd go to Will as I'm walking off. I'm like, fuck, man. <laughs> like, you can see I've had a, I've had two bad games in a row. Let me roll for a little bit. But Will stuck, he stuck to his guns. He said, no, nah, I don't care about right now. Like, we care about later on in the season. And look, we, we had a predominantly healthy team going into the into the finals. So, it, it worked. Um, but as a player, sometimes you get stuck in your own head and you want to play well and prove people wrong and all that kind of stuff. And um, Will was big on on managing players. Um Managing minutes was was really big on talking to performance staff and, and just making sure that we've got our roster of 12 um, when it came March, April, rather than winning a regular season, you know, finishing first and then limping into a, into a final season. So, there's a strategy within that too, right, Pro? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, ego takes care of it. You know, you got, you know, you know, you, you're a competitor. You want to play. You want to show people. But then again, like t- in today's game, in today's world, you know, in professional basketball, you got, you know, you got to rest, you got load management, you, you got to work, you know, sometimes you, you don't want to ramp, you want to ramp up minutes when you need to. Um, it, it's not easy. It's not like the old days where, you know, you could play all these minutes and travel commercial and, and do all this and, and maybe do a couple of jumping jacks and stretch for 30 seconds before you get on the floor. It's, you know, there's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of people employed to sort of monitor minutes and monitor things. And, you know, sometimes coaches, you got to make tough decisions. And as a player, uh, most likely you're not going to understand those choices that are made, especially if they impact you on the other side of things and and not playing the minutes that you think you deserve or want or, or what have you. But, you know, I guess if the coach and organization is doing the best to, to try to ramp you up and keep you healthy and, and give the, the organization the best chance to win, you might, you know, I get it's, it's tough. It's a, it's tough medicine to take, you know, in the short term, but in the long term, you sort of understand it, especially looking backwards. I'm looking backwards, like after it happened, you know? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And it's, it's all about like, if you're, it's hard when you're middle of the park or like one of those teams, it's average or lower. And a coach is fighting for his coaching career and his best play. He's like, no, nah, I'm riding, I'm riding you to the ground. You know, you're playing 38, 40 for me. <laughs> you know, so yeah. we, we were in that fortunate position of knowing we're going to be somewhere up the top. So we could, we could kind of modify that. But not every team, not every team can do that because sometimes there's a lot of other things that come into play. Uh, all right, thanks for that question, Craig. Last one, uh, second last one, sorry. Liam Perkins from Kilsyth South. Hey, Bogues, first and foremost, I'd like to congratulate you on a great career in both the NBA and the NBL. My question for you is, since you've just recently retired from basketball, do you still stay in shape? And if so, how often do you train and who with? Uh, I do. I still, unfortunately, have to stay in shape. I've got, a, I've got a back that if I don't work out for a week or two, it lets me know. So, unfortunately for me, I'm going to have to you know, stay on on some sort of program for the rest of my life. That's just part of the the negatives of, of being a professional athlete. You got to stay in shape, and yeah, I still lift weights, do a little bit of cardio, and do some um, some core work, Pilates, that kind of stuff. Stretch a lot, about three times a week at the moment. I ramp that up um, probably to four once the kids are back in school because or start school, sorry, because it's kind of a full house at the moment. But yeah, I think um, most athletes would hear what I'm saying and agree. You got to do a little bit just to maintain being able to walk every day, essentially, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm not the poster boy for fucking working out, but um, I actually take two walks a day. It's it's good to clear my head, and you know, I, I just I just I try to shave off morbidly obese just to get to obese. So I just try to stay away from the morbidly part. So I actually spent uh, a good deal of money to get a Peloton treadmill actually to do some walking inside. You know, not not walking outside all the time, but you know, I do work out as much as I fuck around about being fat and stuff. I do. Uh, I do work out once in a while. Yeah, I think, look, 
even though you made fun of it, like going from morbid, morbidly obese to obese, I think in reality, like let's be serious, I think having having those goals, no matter what shape you're in, having a goal for yourself, I don't care if you're the biggest person in the world and you, you think you, there's no chance for you, I get no bigger thrills than going to a gym and seeing a, a severely overweight person having a crack, like having a, having a shot, like I- like I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to lose whatever it is by this date, or I'm gonna try. And this, you know, you see people there, and and you know, maybe some people would laugh or make fun or whatever. But I love it. I think it's great, and I think um, the fact that you know people out there might be embarrassed by the fact that they're a bit overweight or whatever it is, you shouldn't be. If you're in the gym having having a shot, having a, a shot at trying to get healthier and better, but you know, you've got all my respect. If you're sitting at home on the couch pouting about it, you have none of my respect. So. Um, even though we're joking about yeah, it, that, I think it's I think set small goals for yourself, especially if let's say you are 30, 40 kilos, you know, 50, 100 pounds overweight, you're not going to lose a shit in a month. Set yourself some realistic no. goals. All right, I'm going to get to, I'm going to drop 10 pounds by the end of the month. Then I'm going to drop five pounds the next, whatever it is. And, and, and then once you start ticking those boxes, I think people really, I've got a friend that just lost, I think he lost 30 or 40 kilos um, and looks fantastic. I, I didn't even recognize him. I almost walked past him when I, when I went and saw him for the first time. And, you know, he's happy, healthy and, and doing a great job. But it took him, it took him a year, year and a half of two years of, of hard dieting and working out. Yeah. And a lot of it's what you put into your body. Like, you know, I, I, I was, um, when I was with the Mavs a few years ago, I, I watched that um, video, Fat, Sick, and Almost Dead. You ever see that, folks? No. Nah, what's it called, sorry? It's actual, yeah. No, it's an unbelievable documentary. So, it's this guy from Australia of all places. I, I forgot the guy's name, but he's from Australia. He was He had some skin disease, and he was way overweight, borderline diabetic, um, and he was really, like, he was sick wasn't dying, but he was like taking all this medication. Like he showed you all the medication he took. So what he wanted to do is he wanted to go on an all juice diet. So what he was going to do is going to go all juice for like 60 days. He went like, you know, green apple. Like he, he, he tells you the recipe inside in the, in the documentary. And he flew to the United States. He stayed in New York for like 30 days. And all he did was juice, 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 juice. And then he had to check in with his doctors and make sure um, his goal was he wanted to lose this weight, get off the medication and all that stuff. So what he did was 30 days in New York and then he fl- uh, drove across the United States and told his story. He had the juicer in the back of his car and he told his story and he was going to all these like bigger people and saying, look, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm here. And he's losing all this weight. And then he meets this really big guy in Arizona at a truck stop. And this guy's telling him his like bad diet. He's a trucker, does you know, all this fried food, no exercise. He's all sick, this and that. So it was like this quick conversation, had him try the juice. All right, I'm gone. So he, he, he finishes the 60 day pet fast. He probably lost over a hundred pounds. And then he goes back to Australia. When he gets back, of course, the guy from Arizona calls him. I had to stop working. I'm really sick. Can you really help me? I want to get on this. So the guy flies back, puts him back on a program. And then they follow this guy around and basically what they're saying is, look, you could exercise and do all this, but all the foods that you do, like juicing and vegetables and fruits, and we talk about Kyle Collinsworth a lot in the show, like he's big into that and the green smoothies. And it's a great documentary. It's unbelievable. It, it'll make you stop eating bullshit for a while and, and get on this program. It works. It, you know, I, I did that for like, I'll do it for a week or 10 days at a time. Lose, you can lose up to 10, 12 pounds. But if you're on it for a long period of time, he's, he even said it. Look, 
a normal person can't do 60 days. But if you do it like you replace two meals a day, it could be very beneficial. And and then what happened, folks, is he lost his weight. He got off all his medication and all his numbers that were like borderline death, like cholesterol level and all the all his blood numbers and stuff, they all went to normal level. And Shocker, yeah, right? I mean, not only the X. Ex- yeah. yeah, it's a great. What's it's called a again? Great What's it called show- again? What's the name? It's called Fat, Sick, and Almost Dead. And okay. the guy's from Australia. Look the guy up. He's, I think he made even a part two. You can't get it on Netflix anymore. It used to be on Netflix. You know what it is? It's free on YouTube. Okay. Uh, if check you it look out. it up on YouTube, look it up. It's pretty, it's pretty cool documentary. We'll check it out. Yeah, it sounds interesting. Cool. All right. Last one. This one, this one is really, really interesting. So the night of the 2005 draft, few could have predicted the international player taken by the Milwaukee Bucks, who'd go on to become one of the most beloved Bucks of the next 15 years, reach fifth all time in franchise games played and still be in the NBA in 2021 would be Ersan Ilyasova. So he was my rookie class, bro. Yep. Explain what it was like to enter the league alongside a guy who had to adjust to a new language, country, and the NBA all at once. Once and for all, please demystify one of the more intriguing origin stories in league history. Where is Ursan actually from? How old do you believe him to be? And is it true that he that he first learned how to take charges by battling Kozak horse lords from Charlie in Chicago? Now, pro, this one is an interesting one, right? So. He was drafted with me. I did the combine with him. He he was so skinny back then, right? And pale, like white yeah. as white can be, right? So he couldn't even, you know, the, do you remember the bench press bench press test? It was, I think, it's one hundred and eighty five pounds, and you do one eighty five, yeah, right? as much as you want, right? So they put they put Ersan down for for his warm up at one thirty five, and he's like, he goes, I can't, I can't even do the warm up. Like, <laughs> what's the point of doing it, right? So they they make him they make him take the bar off. He can barely do one rep at one thirty five. Then they put the one eighty five on and made him do that. Because they have, oh no shit well they have, you have to at least attempt it and he's like I, I couldn't he can't speak English so he's like gone through his translator like interpreter saying like he couldn't do the warm up weight like why are you making him do the one eighty five so that's how I remember my first running with Ursan right I worked him out in Chicago for the draft like he he worked out in front of like twenty five teams at Grover's gym um, and he like you said whiter than white twenty eight pounds soaking wet. And yeah, it was very interesting. But everybody there said he was like 29. I don't know if that was bullshit or not, but they were talking about his age back then. I got the story. So, all right. So, one thing I found weird, I hung out with him a little bit. He had an interpreter. So, he's from he's supposedly from Turkey, right? So, he had an interpreter with him that was Turkish. But Ersan's Turkish wasn't great. Like, it wasn't- Because I used to ask him, like, give me some swear words, give me this. And and, and the interpreter would always answer. I'm like, I'm asking, like, he wouldn't- There's something weird going on. Then I heard him on the phone, spoke fluent Russian, fluent. So, I was intrigued by this because I'm I'm Croatian background from Australia. So, I can speak- I speak Croatian in my family, whatever, right? So, I was like, man, like, how do you you know Russian? Like, are you from Turkey? He goes, oh, my family's Russian, blah, 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 right? Anyway- I played with Carlos Delfino mid-tenure with the Milwaukee Bucks and Ersan's there. So, I think it was 2009-10 season. So, one day Carlos tells me like, hey, man, you know the story about Ersan, right? I'm like, no. Nah. He goes, man, go online and Google. Oh, he sends me the link, whatever he did. This is how the story goes, apparently. There was a kid from, I think it was Uzbekistan, killing it. Like, they, they were like, this guy's going to be one of the best players in the region ever, like in the Russian region, whatever, right? Junior kid under mm-hmm. 14s, 15s, 16s. So, anyway, he, he's playing, he's playing, he's playing. He disappears one day. They don't know where he's gone. Um, all they had was a record of him leaving the leaving the border by either car, bus, foot, whatever, like a stamp that he left the border, right? Didn't fly out. A number- This kid's name was Arsen Ilyasov. 
So, okay, Arsen Ilyasov was his name. So, then three or four years later, some kid pops up in Turkey named Ersan Ilyasova that was killing it, <laughs> killing it, same age, had an age, right? So, that's that's the story about old Ersan. He's apparently, yeah, that, that would explain why he speaks such good Russian. That's kind of the- the theory on it. There was an article about it. I think you can still find it online if you Google Arsen Ilyasov. So, <laughs> Carlos tells me this. So, you know me, right? So, one day, yeah. um, I ask Ersan about it. I'm like, dude, like, be honest with it. Because we used to go, like, Carlos, myself, and Ersan used to go to eat lunch every road trip. On the road trip, lunch, dinner, pregame, whatever. So, we hang out a fair bit. And um, one day, I was like- Is that Delfino? Did, are you talking about Delfino? Yeah, Delfino. Yeah, yeah. He's a good friend of I mine. I love Delfino. He's awesome, yeah, dude. He's hilarious. So, the best. one day I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to ask him. So, I go up to her and I'm like, dude, like, you've been drafted. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, they can't not re- they can't, like, <laughs> stop your draft. Like, you fooled them. Like, cool. You're, you're three, four years older than you really are. Just, like, give us the truth, man. Like, tell us about this Arsene Liasov, Liasov thing. He looked at me like he wanted to kill me, right? Gave me nothing. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. He stopped talking to me for, like, two months. Then knew that Carlos was somehow involved. Stop talking. Like he like basically cut us off. Like stop coming to eat with us. Like didn't didn't talk to us, man. So we're just like, <laughs> dude. Like why, why are you so mad? Like it's who cares? Like you you know if you pulled one over the NBA draft and you you're older than you are, but yeah, that kind of that somewhat sold me that the story's true. So just an interesting question that I saw because it was it was kind of a pretty big deal. And and look, there's E1 Lian from China was another one. We played I played against him in the junior world champ. Oh, junior yeah. World champ. I was at that tournament <laughs> scouting, folks. He was like 15, I, 16. I, and then three years later, go ahead. I saw him at a fucking tournament. I saw him at that, at that tournament that you were in in Greece and T. Slaniki. So we're all in this fucking small gym. And here's this kid who is like, the Chinese version of KG. It's killing it. Like face up, killing it, jabbing, shot, step back, dunking on guys. And all of this old school scout, I looked at him, I go, this guy's really good. He goes, yeah, but at his age, he better not break his hip. I said, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, bro, he's like 29. I go, get the fuck out of here. He's got, he goes, bro, he's got 12 birth certificates. They don't know which one to post on the, in the program. Literally, I was like, and, and I was like the first time scouting, like, I'm like, get the fuck out of here. He goes, yeah. And that's all they talked about with his age. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that was good. I mean, it's it's a good strategy. It's a good strategy. If you're an international player, you want to get drafted, you look much better if you're 18, 19 than if you're, if you're 23, 24. But that was um, an interesting story about that's kind of where the friendship went away with Ursan after I asked him that question. He, was, he wasn't too happy with me. But um, yeah. So anyway, just an interesting one. But story time, I've got, oh, I've got a good one. I've got good ones for story time. So what I'm going to do is probably I'm going to tell some stories. And at the end of this, you're going to tr- you have one guess. I don't, because I don't, I don't think you'll get, oh, you might get it. I don't know. I'll give you a few little clues. If you get it, you get one guess. All right. Okay. Great. All right. So this was my in my Milwaukee Bucks tenure. So this is from oh, in between 06 and 2012. I was in Milwaukee. So that's that's the one clue that you have. That that's the team we're looking at. This is a guy, uh, life of the party type guy, fun guy to be around, talking shit. You know, does whatever he does. Um, I went and partied with him a few times. This is how this 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 starts, right? So the f- the first experience I had with this dude was we All Star Weekend. He goes to Vegas. He parties it up. We have a practice. I don't know what it was. Monday after All Star Weekend, we have a practice at at, at 
10 a.m. This dude flies private from Vegas, lands at like lands in Milwaukee at 9:15 for a 10 a.m. practice. Comes straight to the facility, goes to the trainer. He's like, he's like, oh, I don't feel too good. I'm not going to practice today. <laughs> Hung over, like drunk as fuck. Like he was, he just came from Vegas. Mm-hmm. So then. Sleeps in the training room while we're training. We get on a plane that afternoon to fly to our next game. Um, we play the next night. Then gets on the plane, and he's as good as can be playing poker with us on the plane in front of the coach. Didn't give a <laughs> sh- didn't give a shit. So that was a, my first experience with him. I'm like, this dude is fucking nuts. Like, gave no shits. Did not care at all. Right. He's living out of a, a hotel at that point in um, Milwaukee. The other thing yeah. he did was he he won a bunch of money at the the Potawatomi Casino there in Milwaukee. I think he won like two or three hundred thousand dollars playing shit. craps or some shit. So he he's got this money in a duffel bag, right? And because he's staying in a hotel in Milwaukee, because they've put him up for the rest of the season, he had to check out every time we went on a road trip because Milwaukee was trying to save money. So he had to bring this cash with him. So I remember that one road trip we went on, um, it was in New Orleans. He left the money in the hotel safe. <laughs> I forgot oh, forgot fuck. about it. Yeah. So they've had to like send like security people with a Brinks truck to go pick the money up. It was a whole big deal. The reason why that's funny is so we're in New Orleans. So one night he's like, "Okay, I've I've got a, I've got a party bus coming. Whoever wants to roll on the team, it'll be in the lobby at meet in the lobby at nine p.m. We're going out." And I'm like, "Oh, I might go. I might go. I was injured at the time. I, I, I fucked my back up. I was out for the season. It's about thirty games left. I was still traveling with the team. I was bored as shit. I was like, I'm just going to go out and have a night. Right? New Orleans on like a yeah. Monday or a Tuesday night, so it wasn't too rowdy. I get down there. This dude has a it's a bus with a stripper pole in the middle of it. Get on the bus. There's like myself." I think what, probably six or seven of my teammates, a bunch of their friends. So it was already a full bus. There were some females on there and whatever. So we go out. We go to like first. We go to like a, a kind of a, a lounge bar type thing. So not too rowdy, no dance floor, more like a lounge tapas bar. I remember he's he's ordering drinks after drinks, and he's ordering like the high end Remy, high end Patron, like the shit that's like a hundred dollars a shot, fifty dollars a shot, or, or five thousand dollars a bottle. Ordering, 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 ordering. Waitress comes back and she's like, "Look, we're, we're going to need a we're going to need a credit card, you know, because we don't know if you're going to pay the bill. Like you're ordering a lot of a lot of high end drinks." He's like, "I got it. Don't worry about it." So she goes to her boss, comes back, says, "Sir, we really really need a credit card." Like he's like, "I don't have a credit card." Goes into his pocket. I swear he had he must have had thirty or forty grand. In, in just this massive, <laughs> massive wad of cash, throws it on the table. He's like, is this good for a credit card? <laughs> the waitress is like, Get the fuck. Point, point taken, sir, point taken, sir. I'll, I'll, let me know when you want to check out your bill. So she leaves. Then we go on to a, a nightclub, right? And it's like I said, it's Monday or Tuesday in New Orleans. There wasn't a whole lot going on. It was dead. He's like, man, this is bullshit. It's dead. I need to do that. It's like, cool. what do you want to do, man? Let's just go, let's go back to the hotel. And he's like, ah, oh, yeah, cool. So about five minutes later, he's in the DJ booth on the microphone, right? Grabs a microphone, just starts yelling, I've got $1,000 for a stanky leg contest. <laughs> so, I don't know. For if a what contest? Stanky leg. Do you remember that song, Do the Stanky Leg? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, it's basically like a fire hydrant dance, like like a, like a dog peeing on a fire hydrant, but females would do it and twerk while they're doing it. So, he's like, I've got $1,000 for a stanky leg contest. So, he get, he's got all these girls that come up to the stage for the $1,000 and they're doing a stanky leg contest and he's judging it. Like midnight club. <laughs> it's just like, what the hell are you doing? Like, just no fucks given, right? So I'm like, man, this is crazy. Like, I've never experienced hanging out with a guy like this, but life of the party, like, fun, fun to be around. Yeah. The last part of this story was I mentioned that he was in Las Vegas. So we fly out to Orlando. We're on the flight over, and he's like, oh, man, I'm, I flew I flew a girl out to Orlando to see me on this road trip. So for everyone out there, it's no secret NBA players. They, they meet they meet females all over the place, whatever, and, and they go to a certain city. They might fly a girl in from wherever she lives to spend time with them on the road, whatever, right? So, he's like, oh, I met her in Vegas 
um, when I was just there for All Star. I just I don't I don't really you know don't know what she looks like. I can't remember. Blah 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 blah. But, but he's flying her out right. So we we get to Orlando, get to the hotel. You know, we all go to our rooms, and then I think I went out for dinner, and then maybe a drink after after dinner. I I see him there like by himself. <laughs> so I'm like. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, didn't you have that girl fly out from wherever? And he's like, oh, man, no good, man. No good. No good. I'm like, what did you do? He goes, shit, I, I grabbed my bag. I went to the front desk and I got myself another room. <laughs> Left her in Jesus. the room. Gave her the room service menu. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm not going back to the room. Like, I'm, I just bought another room, got my shit out. So, like, he's got this- <laughs> He's got some poor girl, man. Flew out from God knows wherever, just waiting for him to come back. He's like, oh, we've got a team meeting or some shit. I'll be back later. Like, he wasn't going back. <laughs> just like, but fun guy to be around, reckless, did not care, life of the party. Who do you think I'm talking about? All right. Well, give me one clue. Look, they're all your clues, man. Life of the party. Well, yes, you did. White guy or black guy? Nah, no good. Good for race relations. That doesn't. That doesn't matter. Um, I'll give you one clue. Well, it doesn't. He, he wasn't with. He was not with the Milwaukee Bucks very long. He was there for maybe half a season. Okay, no, just because I, I want to narrow it down. I'm going to guess. I'm on Basketball Reference right now. <laughs> I mean, just just because the players, there's a million players, and I. You know, I don't think it's going to be a star. I think it's going to be sort of like a role player. Uh, it wasn't a star. I, it wasn't a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm not asking you. I'm, I'm, that's what if I'm you guessing. See, if you see this name when you go through all the rosters, you'll know straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got it right now. I guarantee I know it. It's David Jones. <laughs> Bang. David Jones? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Nice. And, uh, nice. I, for everyone out there, I swear I did not tell Pro. I did not. I did not tell him the name. As God is my witness, but um, he is Sweet. an absolute baller. Like he, he is. Oh my God! I, I, I had some fun with him, and I didn't know him that long. We got. We brought him. So we traded for him. He, he got thrown into a package deal. I can't remember who for. And this was in the yeah. off season. And they said like, like, don't even report. We don't want you to come. <laughs> Because I was so worried hey. about this kind of shit. And then they brought him in after All-Star because they're like, shit, let's just bring him in. Maybe we can pack- package him off to to somewhere else. Um, and I, I really enjoyed my time with him. He was an awesome dude to hang out with. Yeah, I was gonna guess Brokroff until you until you said uh, until you said the stanky leg. Then he was eliminated from competition. So I had to guess <laughs> somebody else. No, nah, it wasn't the account. <laughs> yeah, the account. All right. Well, hey, I'm not good at most things, but I can get I can guess misfits from a mile away, brother. Oh, he was he was a classic dude. Like he would, I don't know if you remember when he played games. He could shoot a little bit, um, and he got paid. Yeah, from, he got paid he from. The, he got paid from that one little run with Miami and, and LeBron. But he used to shoot it, and and like as soon as it left his hands, he would be oh shit off off off, and it'd go through the net. Like as he he like he like like as soon as it left his hands, if he knew it was good. He'd mess with you. Yeah. So then like during camp, like the first couple of times, I'd be like, you know, on edge trying to get this this brick rebound. Where's it coming off? And it'd go through the net and he'd be like, gotcha, big fella. <laughs> just, yeah, just- he's a big Vegas guy. That's when when you said Vegas, I knew he was a big Vegas guy. And, you know, that that's just sort of nonstop fun. If you could hang out with him for one night, he'd he'd be my guy. He is hilarious. You got anything party wise? You would have seen some shit along. No, oh. dude, you know what? That story was a Hall of Famer. That is that's the Wilt Chamberlain of stories. Um, I'm, we're going to retire it at that. That there's no story I can give that's even close to that. So we're gonna we're gonna carry it up. The only party I go to is fucking three five scoops of Hagen Dazs for eighty eight bucks at a Ritz Carlton near you on the NBA Road. So I'm I'm not even gonna close to a story. Tapping like out that. again. So, All right, you have to double down next week. 
Although I will tell people that if they want the Bogues experience, and no, not many people can get the Bogues experience, the closest thing on TV, if you got Apple Plus and you watch Ted Lasso, the guy that plays Roy Kent is the soccer version of Andrew Bogues. So oh, wow. Anybody wants to watch that. Up. Oh, God. That guy is fucking... That show is, first of all, the be- one of the best shows I've seen I on TV I watched the first episode. It was kind of slow. Oh, I, need, I need to stay in it, Yeah, right? it is a little slow. Yeah, he's the grumpy, the fucking grumpy guy that all he does is uh, talk shit, swear. You know, that guy is you. So if anybody wants the Bogut experience and, and they're not from Australia and they can't bump in you, I will go watch that. Roy Kent. And, and let let us know about uh, Roy Kent oh, and God, see if that, that, that. I can only imagine bonus. what this shit's going to be like. <laughs> I love him. Great character. All right, that wraps up another episode at Rogue Bogues. All your social media platforms. Um, we are also doing a big small business push with Australian-based businesses, even America. You know, anyone who's having issues with their small business right now. I'm doing one post a day, starting in the month of April to promote any small business out there so make sure you send those through and tell us why we should promote you thanks again pro we will see you next week hey folks thanks for having me on appreciate it brother